Steven, we're short an episode. Oh, shoot, we are. We got to put something in the feed. Yeah, okay. Um, you can we, blame me. Do you have anything? <laughs> that you can. We could. I could talk about Smash Bros. Things. For, so, you know. Ellen, do you have anything? <laughs> I can talk about dogs. Okay, that's pretty good. That's better. I mean, there is this ninety-minute conversation I had on an episode of Enterprising Individuals. Uh, okay. Which is a Star Trek podcast. Oh gosh. Which is you know. I mean, we talk about two things on Nice Games Club, uh-huh. video games and Star Trek. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mark, are you proposing we have- I'm sorry. I've already pulled the lever. This is official now, Steven. Oh, God. <laughs> um, we're going to be rebroadcasting this episode. It came out last week, if you're a subscriber to that show, cool, Enterprising cool. Individuals, cool. where we talked about Star Trek video games. Ah. So listeners to this program would know that we did an episode on Star Trek video games a couple years ago, and I, I, I cribbed a bunch of my notes from there, so it was pretty nice. Um, <laughs> But uh, Aaron brought a lot of the conversation, too. It was really cool. We also talked a lot just about, you know, what Star Trek means and why it's different from other science fiction franchises. And I got to just say a lot of my piece about Star Trek. So that yeah. was a lot of fun. We asked them if they'd uh, let us throw the that episode in the feed because, one, it's a good show. Uh, if you're into Star Trek, it's a good show to listen to. I think you should subscribe. So this is a bit of a taste of it. And also, as I said, we're short an episode, folks. So this is just going to be, you know, uh, help plug a hole for us. Yeah. So it's, it's Stephen. It's solving a problem. Is all it's doing. I'm not. It's not like a hostile takeover or anything. Uh huh. Okay. Ellen, Ellen. It's a friendly takeover. It's a nice takeover. <laughs> I gotta invite some of my anti Star Trek friends on here. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Who are? Th- do they even exist? No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, without further ado, here it is. That episode of Enterprising Individuals. Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. And we've got to get right into it today. Hold down X, we're skipping all the cutscenes. Star Trek is one of the most successful and diverse properties of all time, and that means that there's a lot of Star Trek video games, from the earliest text adventures to the VHS games of the 90s, all the way to Bridge Crew in VR today. But are there any good Star Trek games? Some would say no. I know I've certainly had a hard time finding them, but it really seems like Trek has all the elements that would make a good game, right? So what is the deal? Well, that's the question I put to Mark LaCroix. Mark is the co-host of the Nice Games Club podcast and a game developer, and we talked recently about the history of Star Trek in video games, what's happening in the industry currently, and why it's tough to make a standout game that really captures the feel of Trek. It was a fun discussion, and it generated many links that you may want to follow on the internet for more information, like the Nice Games Club homepage and more of Mark's work, or my own recent experiences with the Voyager game Elite Force, which you can see on YouTube. Please check out the show notes for those links. That's it for me this week. Enjoy my talk with Mark. Press A to violate Prime Directive. And with that, let's get underway. My guest on the show today is Mark LaCroix. Mark is a writer, editor, animator, and game designer whose work extends to short films, music videos, public art, and 3D printed sculpture. He also hosts a podcast about video game design called Nice Games Club, where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, I always ask first-time guests to the show how they first discovered Star Trek. How did you become a Star Trek fan? So I, I'm exactly the right age for the next generation, like exactly the right age. Yeah. But that wasn't my first contact with Star Trek, which I I watched the, um, you know, when, when uh, TNG uh, started, it it was rolled into the syndication package of the original series. Yeah. If you you watched it in 1987, 88, you, you watched uh, the new episodes mixed in with, with Kirk and co. And, and so I, um, so I was watching that, you know, strip syndication five nights a week. 
on a little black and white TV in, in the, the spare bedroom uh, at like 10 at night, way past my bedtime. And so I became a fan of the original series. And I, I, the first Next Generation episode I saw was Conspiracy with the exploding worms and everything. And yeah. I remember as a kid, I mean, I was just like, oh, well, I'm never watching that show again. <laughs> and it's so funny because it, it only took about six months after that before I became a Next Generation super fan. But I have a very distinct memory of my first Next Generation episode being like having being so turned off by it. And then reading later <laughs> that Gene Roddenberry got some studio notes about how gross that stuff was in that episode and then upped the ante just to spite them. And then that taught me a very valuable lesson about not revering your heroes too much. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody listens to feedback or yeah, responds in the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, be it, man, Gene, you could have got me six months earlier if you'd have been a bigger man about the whole thing. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very similar to to my story as well. And watching mm -hmm. those uh, those blocks, you know, where they go, OK, here's a new show. And then, hey, why not? Here's the old show and kind of discovering them at yeah. the same time. Um, yeah. I. How did you get started in game design? Well, I, um, as you alluded in my intro, which is a little bit outdated because I used to, you know, I'm a multi, um, um, disciplinary artist, but right now I'm, I'm a game developer. That's what I'm doing these days. Um, yeah. and, um, but I kind of fell into it because, um, when I was doing a lot of work in design, film, uh, media, I worked in advertising for a bit. Um, I, it, all that's multidisciplinary. And the thing about video games is it's like the ultimate multidisciplinary art. And so it, <laughs> yeah. it became a case where like, okay, I'm, I need to make some animations. So I'm working with Flash. Oh, there's, you can code in Flash? Okay, let me see how that works. And uh, oh, I'm, I'm doing uh, you know motion graphics now. And like, oh man, this task is taking, this General Mills ad or whatever is taking forever. But look, I yeah. can put some code into my After Effects to, to, to streamline some of the way this animation works and do some like code driven animation. And so every, everything I did led me to software development as a way to learn more about the thing that I wanted to do. And yeah. so um, eventually I just was like, you know, I should just focus on that. And so uh, that's what I'm doing now. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting too. I, I think that like um, hopefully kids of uh, new generations um, are getting this information about how they can get involved in game development, but also use those skills, you know, in other disciplines. Because when I yeah. was a kid, I thought, boy, I love video games. It'd be great to do video games. But like doing video games, that didn't mean anything to me. I had no idea how to make that into into a reality. Uh, yeah, even though you yeah. can get in through programming or design or writing, there's all these different ways that you can get into it. So, so I never did anything with that. But that's interesting that you can use those skills so well. It's also something that I've also found interesting is, you know, I've played video games as long as I can remember. If it, and if you're anything like me, and you might be, I mean, we're both white guy creatives of the same age who like radio and video games and live in the same state, then you probably felt that thing that I did growing up, which was that, like, my hobbies are shameful. Did you ever get that? Like liking video games or comic books as a kid, it's tolerated when you're young. But when you become an adult, it's like, oh, boy, what happened to that guy? He still likes yeah, you know, video games. I would say I would, um, I didn't, I read X-Men a little bit as a kid. And I I did. I did like video games. I mean, I had a Nintendo, but I was just, I was a kid in the early '90s, so yeah. you know, uh, uh, QED. Um, but I don't. I think it was just Star Trek was like my only nerd thing. Um, <laughs> sure. And and so you know, I um, you know, I had all the action figures, and, and I had I had many of the board games and video games, and we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. But yeah. um, but then I when I got into um, high school. It was like, oh, Star Trek was that, and Star Trek was still on at that point. And um, it was like, Star Trek was that thing I loved as a kid. And I would, I never shied away from telling people I loved Star Trek as a kid. 
And it was just this little black hole of my life where it felt like a little too nerdy to still be super into. Like I put away my, my dog-eared copy of the Star Trek Encyclopedia. I didn't throw it away. It was never, never rejected it, but it never <laughs> it, for a little while, it wasn't part of my personality. And yeah. then, in, and then in college, um, I got a T1 connection in my dorm room and what, and, and basically binged DS nine in the way you did in those days, which was sure. downloading this episodes illegally. Yeah, and, right. um, and, and then from then until now, so the past 20 years, uh, Star Trek has now become, again, part of my personality. But there was yeah. a time when it felt like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I love that thing, but like, it's not like, OK, we don't need to talk about it. Um, but I didn't have yeah. that with a lot of other things because I, I, I guess I always felt like a nerd because I love Star Trek so much. But I yeah. didn't actually there was those, a lot of the other things I didn't have to that same degree. So hearing a lot of people's story about growing up nerds and then now it becoming the mainstream. I don't feel as connected to that because Star Trek is actually still not quite mainstream in the same way. Star Trek <laughs> fandom is not quite mainstream, even though Star Trek is, if that makes that's, sense. Yeah, I think that's true. And I mm -hmm. think that, uh, you know, obviously Trek is experiencing a renaissance now. And yeah. because everybody has to be so private about their streaming numbers and their subscribers, it remains to be seen how many of the new viewers are, uh, you know, new converts to Trek, uh, quote unquote, normal people who are watching Star Trek. It's certainly true that, you know, in the uh, last heyday of Star Trek in the late 80s and early 90s, everybody watched Star Trek. Like you didn't yeah. have to be a Star Trek nerd. Um, TNG was just like family viewing, you know, at eight o'clock. Um, and so I think that that's interesting. That's an interesting point to make about uh, whether or not Star Trek fans are as mainstreamed as some other <laughs> nerd fans. You know, I think you can wear <laughs> any, any old person can wear a, a Wolverine or definitely a Punisher shirt, you know, on the street and be yeah. fine. But uh, is Star Trek, have they uh, made the big time just yet? I don't know. I know. I do wonder if it's about the thing that, and I mean, I'm, I'm biased, I think, but like the thing I like about Star Trek that I like, I don't like about Star Wars. I don't like about a lot of other things and some yeah. things approach, but Star Trek is the only franchise with an ideology. Like it has a point of view that, that is so core to its being that yeah. it kind of escapes the Spock on a t-shirt. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you can have Wolverine on a t-shirt and like, even though the, there are like themes and X-Men, right. And like, yeah. it, and, and there's, and, and that's pretty powerful for kids growing up reading that comic. Um, uh, you know, I'll give that more credit than I give something say like star Wars, which is really just about itself these days. But like, um, but with, with star Trek, I think the pop culture presence of star Trek became mainstream, but that core, what it's about, I think that's why you always hear in interviews, people remind you what it's about. Like, yeah. because I think it's one of those things that is a little harder to stick with a general audience. Um, and, you know, there are parts of like the J.J. Abrams movies, the first one and particularly the third one um, that that actually do really hold true to that Star Trek message. But that has nothing to do with why those movies were as popular as they were, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I think yeah, I think that's a little different with Star Trek. So but it might just be because I'm so in it. That I when I when I see people just saying like oh yeah transporters and phasers -ah, I'm like that's not that's not Star Trek you know and it's like yeah. maybe just me thinking like oh it's not mainstream because people don't quite get it the way that we you know lifelong devotees do. That's interesting. Like that that comment about you know in interviews it's always going to get brought up uh, yeah. that Star Trek is about you know acceptance and diversity or whatever. So yeah maybe Star Trek for some people always represents 
homework or or a sermon of some kind, and maybe that keeps them away. Yeah. I guess I wouldn't change it, but yeah, I would like to see an, an article or two about somebody who's talking about, you know, maybe the, the phasers or something, you know, or like uh, <laughs> yeah, or how mean, cool the Cardassians are or like, something like that. I, you know, like I said, I had the dog-eared copy of the first edition of the Star Trek Encyclopedia. I love the trivia, I love the props, I love the world building. That's That was a big part of my experience with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel very strongly that the, the morality and that homework really shaped me as a kid. Oh, yeah, and, me too. In, in a way that I'm like, I'm much more dismissive of pop culture these days because it doesn't meet that standard. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's fair or not, or if it's really just me like expressing my preferences or interests and, and not something bigger than that. But sometimes it feels bigger than that. Like, you know, I, I you know, I'll take a phaser fight and a, <laughs> and, a, and a great transporter sequence. But, you know, it's one of the things. And again, it comes up in these in these interviews all the time. It's almost you have to just, the, the actors, producers, writers and Gene Ronberry would always say things like, remember, it's about the human adventure, almost right. as if like people kept kept mistaking it or they kept worrying that people wouldn't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they had to put a coat of paint on it, which also isn't fair because that coat of paint is part of what brings out the flavor. Right. Or whatever. Those yeah, are yeah, mixed yeah. metaphors, but you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it also goes on into adulthood, I think, too. It's because mm-hmm. um, all children's entertainment, I think, is inherently inherently moralizing. Yeah. Um, that's just what we do. But yeah, as you grow up and become an adult, you grow up with those sort of lessons, but it continues like post-grad work you know, into adulthood. Yeah. Where I'm still looking for sci-fi that does that. And if I watch something else, I might enjoy it. But like the characters will make a decision. I'd be like, whoa, Captain Picard yeah. never would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's why the next generation is better than, say, Battlestar Galactica, because huh. you, because it's a kid's show and you can go back to it as an, as an adult, right? I, I, yeah. As a kid also, I, I didn't watch a lot of children's programming because I had Star Trek. And that kind of did it for me, you know, yeah, um, yeah. but like, you know, uh, like Battlestar Galactica, uh, even, even something like The Expanse, which, which is, I think, I think more has more going on than, say, Battlestar Galactica did. Um, it, it there's 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 something about a, a, a it being available for a wide audience that you don't have to you don't have to make your your uh, your your uh, properties so narrow and so focused and so niche. And I, I get I'm not it's kind of weird because it's a little contradictory, right? Like Star Trek is so specific and so nerdy, but it yeah. also is for everyone in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. why like, I really, really love that. Like they're doing Star Trek Prodigy. And I love that Lower Decks is something that, you know, so true to the spirit of Star Trek, but is kind yeah. of a little bit more all all access uh, in terms of, you know, who's targeted at that than, say, um, Discovery or Picard. Which I also like, but you know, have problems with. But you know, at my at my age, I'm like any Star Trek. I'll take any Star Trek. Yeah, you know what sure. I mean? It doesn't yeah, even have to right. be good. I'll just yeah. more Star Trek is good because it it all has that core in it. And so um, I'm, you know, I think that there's a, a about like what uh, what is what is worth making these days. Like when the 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 2009 movie came out, I'm like, this isn't exactly the best version of Star Trek, but it's Star Trek and it's got a little bit in there. So like, yeah, I, my, my standards ultimately are very low when it comes to Star Trek, even though <laughs> even though there are a lot of Star Trek episodes that I really hate because they don't meet the standards of Star Trek. You know, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a sci fi franchise with high standards itself, but your standards for it are low. And that's uh, that's that's a OK. <laughs> it's all it's all nuanced and complicated and contradictory. And that's what that's what comes from it being part of your personality. I wonder if all Star Wars fans like love Star Wars for the same reasons, but all Star Trek fans love Star Trek for a different reason. I do wonder about that because Star Wars has a different relationship between it's like prime canon and it's extended canon. 
Yeah. Like even now when there are multiple television shows for Star Wars, like I think that I think their audience is, is probably a little more diverse in terms of its interest and what brings it to it than it say used to be. But yeah. I think uh, but Star Trek is so big and for so so much for everyone um, and has so many different uh, avenues and flavors and stuff that I, I think that is. And that's another thing that's great about Star Trek. If we're just talking about what's great about Star Trek is that like something can hook you. But then there's other stuff in there to, to keep you, you know, um, yeah. in a way that I think Star Wars kind of it surfaces a lot of its big themes and big, you know, stuff on top. And it kind of takes some digging, I think, to get to anything yeah. else. Yeah, I think that the one of the challenges for Star Trek going forward into the 21st century is um, is letting uh, its its fans giving its fans different aspects of it to enjoy. Like mm-hmm. if the core of Star Trek, whether it's you know cartoon aliens or if it's um, people on a space station or on a spaceship, it's always that same idea of you know uh, a utopian future that we have to maintain and examine and that sort mm-hmm. of thing and whereas star wars is like no we can have cartoon stormtroopers or we can have a series of short films that are like based on anime like we can deliver you all these different um sort of views and looks at it if if star trek you know the more it uh, expands and the more that it creates um new entries into its franchise if it can kind of find uh, newer, fresher aspects. Um, I think that would be, you know, if it can diversify what it's what it's delivering. I think that's probably the best uh, way to go forward. Because Star Trek has mostly just been Star Trek for fifty years. Like it's just, <laughs> you know, a bunch of people somewhere confronted with something that is a metaphor for something, and then they have to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's that contradiction again. It's like there's so much going on in Star Trek, but it is so single minded. It goes drills down to that core ideology. In a way that like other franchises can be the lens by which you could tell any story. I think there are certain Star Trek episodes where like you hear like a sexist joke or something, kind of like a sitcom-y, you know, uh, a sexist joke of, of its era. And yeah. and it, it weirdly doesn't reflect on Star Trek. It basically you, you kind of just say like, oh, that's a bad, that's bad <laughs> Star Trek. Right. That's not like, that's, yeah, it doesn't, that's true. it's not Star Trek is that it's, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's a weird, it's a weird hall pass. It gets, frankly, it's like, because Star Trek is always trying and you get to, and it evolves in a way that nothing else does. Like if yeah. some franchise makes a mistake, they have to retcon it into making sense. Yeah. Star Trek as much as, you know, you know, dog ear copy, the Star Trek Encyclopedia, they will throw crap out. And I, and I kind of like that, that they are able to just, you know, like you were never going to hear where no man has gone before any, any longer. It's yeah. where no one and it's like that change was made in 87 and it felt a little bit of its time in terms of the kind of like what progress meant was that sort of superficialness. But like we've seen prequels since and like, uh, you know, I think maybe they did it on Enterprise, but, but like, you know, we just decided that we're done with that phrase, even though it was so core to what Star Trek was. Even if we go yeah. back to those eras, it's where no one has gone before now. And I right. think that's that's a that's a key example of like what Star Trek cares about in a way that like other franchises, they can't get a foothold because there's nothing at the center of it yeah. as much, right? Not to, you know, I'm, I'm obviously <laughs> praising Star Trek. I don't mean to denigrate everything else, but they just, <laughs> nothing else has it, you know? Yeah. That's, I love that idea that Star Trek just gets away with it when like, <laughs> oh no, it's Rick Berman's fault or, you know, there's just always some reason why oh, yeah. Absolutely. somebody and fell th- short of the Star Trek ideal. It's never that like, oh, maybe the Star Trek ideal wasn't completely developed as we think of it. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a it's a it's sad in a way that they get you get to sort of like it doesn't reflect as badly in the franchise that maybe it, maybe it should, but it also means that no one there's no one hanging on to it, you know. Yeah. We can we yeah. can just move past anything it did wrong and just 
We don't need to carry it with us to the next thing. We don't need to roll it in. We don't need to make references to those things just to make sure that the canon is, is, is consistent. As much as we are the original nitpickers, like I think we're most free to get rid of it, to just ignore the stuff that we don't like. You know, there's a fascinating parallel there, too, with what the people on Star Trek are trying to achieve. I didn't know we were going to d- dive this far into what Star Trek is all about. Well, you don't, you don't you don't know me very well, but this is the okay. conversation to go. <laughs> but like the idea of, you know, the Federation and the very fallible beings who have organized and made it. And mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, we don't always see it on screen, but in their own personal lives and in their dealings probably fall short. But they have this ideal of the Federation that they want to be. Uh, you know, provide uh, equality and egalitarianism, you know, to everybody in the universe, regardless of how they look or what they do or what they think or believe. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure personally they fall short of that, but they're always thinking about that ideal. And I think that Trek in our world represents that as well. When you get a, you know, a, a sexist thing in TOS, you think, well, they're just that's just a certain writer or they just, it was just a certain time, but we still have this ideal of what Trek is and every show and every new entry takes that, you know, that template and goes, how close do we fit to that template? We need to fit within that template. Yeah. And it lets us hate an episode of Star Trek and not hate Star Trek. <laughs> yes. You know, like like <laughs> yeah. the, the, the season four episode of Enterprise Bound, which is maybe the worst thing committed to film. Um, <laughs> it I still like Star Trek. Like it, it didn't it didn't uh, it didn't uh, it, it didn't cause any damage. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, right. in, in, in terms of my love for what Star Trek is now, if 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 most of Star Trek becomes that over time, if Star Trek, if it, you know, gives in to, uh, you know, uh, bad impulses or just every, all, every episode is garbage going forward, I will, I will maybe stop watching it, but I'll never yeah. stop loving Star Trek because of that. What's at that core. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's, it's got its own mission statement built in. Yeah. Uh, well, so like nerds being sidelined uh, is a thing of the past or is becoming a thing of the past, I think. And comic books and nerd stuff have moved into the mainstream and especially video games, which are now a billion dollar industry. I think um, domestically video games made $37 billion last year, which is more than movies, even without COVID as a factor. And I guess when I was growing up, I never thought that I would see the day that like video games uh, outstrip movies in terms of uh, their earning potential, but that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the world that we're that we're living in now. Yeah, and actually, it happened quite a while ago, in a sense. Like, I, yeah, I, I've been making video games for. I, I'm late as a game developer. I came. This is my second career, and so mm-hmm. I've been making games for about five years, and um, and I feel like I've been reading that story about how like games are bigger than movies, right? Then for like twenty years, yeah. and it, because it's still so unbelievable. Because yeah. the way, because where the place it operates, the place it lives in our culture, is still feels a little bit outside of the mainstream, even though everyone has an Xbox, you know. Oh um, yeah, yeah. It's it is, and I don't know. Part of, and part of it's like, oh, let's get over it already. But I'm like, I don't know. I think in 20 more years, we're still going to be surprised by that because of just how yeah. different the games really are for, in terms of how you experience them. They're a much more personal medium. So you can talk with your friends about them or whatever, but like it's just less, they're, they're harder to talk about in terms yeah. of like uh, the sort of word of mouth and they're harder to uh, make sort of like uh, cultural references uh, uh, reaching a mainstream audience. M- video game memes get shared within the fans of that game. Yeah. Um, games take 40 hours to play. So you don't play yeah. as many of them as you watch movies in a year. And so like they, it, even though it represents a huge part of our culture, it doesn't, it's not quite the same as movies. And I think we will continually be surprised by that, even when it dwarfs it by a, a hundredfold. <laughs> 
you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I was just thinking two things. One, I don't know what percentage of that number is uh, mobile gaming mm-hmm. uh, or even like cell phone gaming, something that a person would do but not consider themselves. You know, they'll play Candy Crush all day long and yeah. not think of themselves as a gamer. And also the idea that, sure, there are trends that come and go in films, but ultimately you're still going to sit down and watch a movie for two hours, whether it's a Western or a, ro- a romance or a comedy and mm-hmm. eat popcorn. Whereas in a, a video game space, you could could be sitting down and just playing Resident Evil for a couple hours, or you could be putting on a VR rig and knocking over potted plants in your living room, <laughs> or you know you could be playing uh, World of Warcraft for 18 hours straight. Like the way that everybody interfaces with the, the medium of entertainment is completely different than something like movies. Yeah, it, it comes in more. Di- there's more dimensions to it for sure, and I think the. Um what genre is in a video game is very different than what it is in other medium medias yeah. because in because games have that extra dimension of like oh this is a western but it's a shooter and i think when when like my tastes in movies i'm like i like science fiction i like contemporary drama i don't like fantasy okay fine those are my those are my tastes of, of, of genres yeah but in video games it's not quite the same thing and i think uh, especially people who are like really hardcore PC gamers, they care less about settings and themes and story, even though they love settings and themes and story, right? Yeah. They, they like they like shooters, they like action games, they like uh, uh, visual novels, they like um, you know they like uh, narrative heavy RPGs, but they don't care what they're about. Do you know what I mean? And I think sure. that's um, because because games require practice and they require familiarity with mechanics and control schemes and and just. They're machines you you step into. And so it, it's harder to say like, oh, I love science fiction. So I'm going to try this game in a, in a game genre I've never heard of on a machine I've never played. Yeah. That takes me 40 hours. That's, that's a harder yeah. sell, even yeah. though I, I would be the perfect person because the, the themes are so great, which is one of the reasons why, I mean, as an indie developer, you know, the games I make are smaller. And as, as someone who tries to, uh, and someone inspired by Star Trek, I'm much more interested in themes and setting and, and story and how game mechanics can reveal those things um, yeah. rather than be something that those things just live in as a coat of paint. And yeah. I think that's one of my biggest problems with uh, with games right now is they they feel trivial and they feel they feel less like an art form to a lot of people because that marriage isn't always doesn't always happen that doesn't mean that it's less of an art form because a great a game with great mechanics with a bad story is still a, a work of art yeah. um or, or vice versa but i think we don't we think of them as we, we don't take certain gamers take one part seriously and not the other and vice and vice versa on there it's if you take both seriously you are so picky there's a very few video games you could even play yeah um, that's true. and so <laughs> and so it's hard it's hard to to be into video games and, ha- and and actually be able to express your own tastes the way it is for other mediums. And so I think that's part of why we don't think of it in the same way. That's interesting. Well, going off of that logic, do, do you have a favorite genre of video game that you like to play? Oh, that's, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I love Mario. Like it's hard to, it's so, it's such a <laughs> yeah. cliche answer, but like, yeah. I, 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 I like, um, I like games where the, um, you play a controller, like an instrument, you know, where there's like, yeah. there's like three buttons, but it's complicated. I yeah. don't like I don't like games where you, there are fifty different uh, uh, inventory slots. I don't like MMOs. I, I I don't like fighting games where like the systems are so complicated. I yeah. much prefer elegant systems with like mechanical depth. 
um, if that makes sense. And and uh, Mario games are very simple, but they actually do have quite a lot of depth in terms of how you experience them. And yeah. so that and and so and they're bereft of story. Like there's there's so little going on there um, that those mechanics you sort of get into the the groove of a Mario game, and then they there's a few of them uh, that will sort of drip you a little bit of theme. Um, but it's it's so it's so um, subtle, and I think that's great. And I, I think there's multiple approaches. So like the games I want to make, I want to just drown in story and theme and concept. I want people to walk away with ideas. But I still love Mario games, right? Like there's sure. there's 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 space for both. Yeah, um, I think that like fans of video games would would, would know that for a long time um, the forward progression of video games, or at least the way in which. Uh, video games were uh, charted or measured was by the technical specifications, mm-hmm. um, you know, more powerful processors, better graphics, more content, yeah. um, seemingly leading up to an experience like perhaps VR, where the game is something approaching akin to reality. But in recent years, retro gaming, that is games that take their design from earlier generations, have become very popular, uh, as well as like retro and lo-fi aesthetic. Yeah. Um, what's behind that trend, in your opinion? Have we given up on games being super realistic? I think, well, there's two parts to it. One is that uh, tools are more democratized, right? Um, yeah. I mean, like currently, I I have a license with Nintendo. I can publish games on Xbox. Like I have a lot, I have a lot of access these days, but I wouldn't have been able to get any of that if I weren't, if I didn't have those free tools and free access and open marketplaces yeah. that democratized game development. I think it's, it's uh, you know, I mean, getting a PS2 dev kit in the early 2000s, I mean, that was not something an indie could do. No. Um, and so, but now it's, if you have an idea and you have a little bit of, I mean, I, I brought a lot of the skills from my first career into my second. So I feel like I had a little bit of a head start, um, even though I started late. Um, anyone can make a Switch game. Like, I, and I, I, I love that. I love that so much. Like now, now that I have a little bit of access and, and, and feel a little bit more part of this industry, I'm still so strongly in favor of opening those doors and lowering those walls so that more people can get in, even though that means competition for me. And so the the trend of of like retro style gaming is that games can be smaller because it's easier to start making them. And, um, and there's no need for a game for every game to be big. And so um, one of the benefits of improved graphical fidelity, faster processors, all that technical stuff that we consider like, you know, how, how much grimmer and darker and deeper and more shiny is the next Doom going to be? Is what <laughs> yeah. we thought that in the early 2000s, that's what we thought we were headed towards. Yeah. All that, all that means is you have all this overhead to play with, which means indie developers don't have to be great programmers. Um, you know, I like to think of myself as fairly competent, but like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to be. Like, yeah. you know, it, and, and that's what's great about this medium is that it, it, because it is so multidisciplinary, which is so core to the way I feel as an artist, is like the interrelation of different concepts. And the, what that means is you actually can't spend 20 years being uh, devoted yourself to expertise in any one of them. You gotta, right. you gotta learn them all and you gotta do them now. Yeah. And, and so what that means is that that means smaller games with, you know, using all the advanced tools to sort of get a, some minimal viable on some of those aspects so that you can focus on what you, the game you're working on is important, which is whether that's the story, whether that's like the art, you, you can have lovely, gorgeous art and very simple mechanics. And that's a great game. Yeah. Um, you, you can you can focus on what's important to you and that, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom. Right. It's IDIC. Right. It's just it, it, all sorts of games. And, and that's what's great about 
the, the, the that bar being lifted is that you can make more graphically uh, um, high end games, but also you can make anything else um, more yeah. than you could in the in the old days. Well, Star Trek has a long and very interesting history of video games. Uh, everybody's personal mileage always varies, but I think it's held generally that Star Trek games are often not all that great. Uh, there there have been some good ones, uh, some successes in the early generations of gaming, especially on PC. But mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that there are no truly great modern Trek games and certainly no uh, like AAA Trek titles. Well, I mean, I was going to say correct because it has, Star Trek has a history of making kind of garbage games. Um, <laughs> there are a couple notable examples of good ones over time, but there are, I would say there are, you know, I I prepared a list uh, that listener that I'm not sure how much we're going to get into, but um, there are a couple that are out now that I would say rank amongst properly good games and properly good Star Trek as well. Um, but you're not wrong. Uh, Star Trek has a well-deserved reputation for licensed works that don't quite understand what makes video games interesting. Um, mm. Either they try to be too Star Trek-y um, or, and just completely fall down on, on that because they're not good games. And so they can't deliver a good Star Trek yeah. or they try to be too much too video gamey. And then what's the point? Um, yeah. They just become middling versions of more popular stuff. You can just get elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, that is a well-deserved reputation. Um, but I think there's a couple that are uh, around now that I think are pretty hmm. good. Well, we can, we'll get into the history of Trek games and, and some examples in a minute, but yeah. um, I, I think there's, there's a lot of elements in Trek that fit very naturally into video games, um, strong protagonists and weird aliens and cool space tech. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the convention of uh, phaser combat and starship combat. Um, but why do you think in, in your opinion, it might be difficult to get a Star Trek game right? I think it's the same thing we were talking about at the top of the show, which is that like Star Trek has this core ideology and like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, and you know, one, it, it's, it's a licensed property, right? So when, when uh, the, just the way this works, like logistically is that I'm Paramount, I own Star Trek. I'm going to let a, a video game company make a Star Trek game. Um, suddenly it's, it's this outside creative team who maybe don't understand Star Trek very well. Maybe they mm. think maybe they think they understand it just fine. And maybe they do understand it okay, but they have no experience producing it. And so I think it's hard to get that core, what Star Trek is, into video games. So there's like, um, the, the example I'm thinking of is uh, 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 Elite Force, which was a, a, a first-person shooter set on, in, uh, you're a member of a Voyager security team. Yeah. And it is just, it's just Quake 3, but Voyager. Yeah, and there, it's it, there's it has some it has actually some interesting components to it, which is that you can um, your character you can pick the gender of your character, which in the '90s pretty rare. Um, and so for that reason alone, that that's a little that's kind of a Star Trekky thing, right? For for that era, um, right. where you know, I mean, uh, ga- Star Trek games after that weren't as good on that score. But the game the game itself, there's very little to it. Um, you know, on the other hand, you have games where like they want to tell a whole Star Trek story. Yeah, yeah. just the games they're not good. I think that the NES and um, Super NES and Game Boy oh, uh, yeah. Star Trek games um, the, from uh, original series, next generation uh, themed ones from that era, um, they're hard to use. They feel like PC games, like really yeah. finicky PC games from the yeah. 8-bit era mapped onto a console. And like the and you read Captain's Logs, and there's like some some non uh, combat components. And it, it just never comes together. And so like, it's yeah. just too hard to get into. Um, I, there's just, there's a few examples where like you can 
where it sings on both dimensions, but they're, they are rare. There's a concept in game design called the gameplay loop, which is mm-hmm. essentially what you're asking the player to do in the game. And often the success of the game hinges on how satisfying you can make that loop and how well you can kind of conceal from the player that they're doing it over and over again. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there is a ideal gameplay loop or series of loops for a Star Trek game. Well, I think a good example of this is um, the uh, Star Trek Bridge Crew, which is a virtual reality game that came out just a few years ago um, and and became very popular because it's a properly good game. Um, And in the game, you put on a headset and it's a multiplayer game. Um, You can play it by yourself. It's not as fun. Um, You play with people online or if you're lucky enough to have multiple headsets or have friends with headsets, you can all get in a living room and and, and shout out it's i've done that it's hilarious um but basically you just you you um everyone has their own station and you participate in a battle it's actually it's a very kind of an arcade kind of game so you mm. think well that's not very star trek it's mostly ship battles you know mostly rewrite it routing energy which is a star trek thing but doesn't really fit the core of star trek but the thing yeah. about star trek bridge crew it's all about communication and cooperation and that's what makes it work and mm. i think that that loop is basically okay Problem happens. Engineer needs to reroute some energy so that the engines can move fast. But you have the captain who's directing people and and putting up markers on the map. And it's just that sort of like everybody working together kind of feel, even though the the tasks are very simple. um, And, uh, you know, certainly it's it's kind of escape room like in a sense that sort of everyone has their part and you have to make sure that everyone knows what's going on. And uh, a lot rides on the captain's ability to explain what's happening. And a lot rides on people's ability to just take an action uh, when they feel that they, they have the most information to act, but also yeah. to let other people tell them what to do, which is, a, that's a life skill, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's a very, th- those loops are over and over and over in, in that game. Like, you know, bank left, you know, uh, charge the phasers, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Half, half impulse. Um, and it so it feels fun. It feels a little theme parky to uh, play act Star Trek. So that's fun. But it, the mechanics really reinforce the theming, and it does it with a very tight gameplay loop. Um, so I have a lot of praise for that game. Nice. I don't have a VR set. I own the game, and uh, <laughs> you know I I can play it with a controller, but it's yeah, not quite yeah. as fun than than the VR set. Yeah, it's the same game, but that VR immersion like adds to it, right? It's this. It's this. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously there's more going on. It's you can you know why it's more exciting. It's in VR, but like yeah. you are literally doing the same things, and yet it feels a hundred times more real. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm glad they they added the ability to play in non VR because it opens up to more people, especially in multiplayer yeah. environments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've really got to play that in VR. Well, as we get into talking about Star Trek video games, we should probably mention literal video games, and that's the Star Trek VHS game that came out in the 90s. Star oh, Trek dang. The Next Generation Klingon Challenge, the VCR board game. Kids today will never know about VHS board games, and that's probably okay. Yeah, I think, I think we're better off. I think we've, we've, we've passed through that rocky era uh, <laughs> uh, uh, better. We've learned our lesson, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, had, I have two copies of that game. Uh, my wife had one, and I had one, and we both saved it. Because it had a big co- a sticker with a collector's number on it, which was a right. very, that is what yeah. Paramount did with all their licensed properties is like, mm-hmm. they put, like, put a sticker on it and put a number. doesn't mean anything. And the number will go to infinity, but like, <laughs> it's a collectible, <laughs> give it some value. Yeah. And so we, yeah, in our, in our living room and our, in our, our bookshelf, we just have two copies of it because we can't bear to get rid of one of them. Yeah. That's, uh, I used to have the, uh, I never had that one. I had the clue game. 
And ah. it's, it became such a problem or such a hassle to just like my sister and I never agreed on anything. So we could barely ever sit down to play it. But so I ended up just like watching all the scenes all the way through. Ah. Um, and, you know, I, I gained a new appreciation for what was clearly a bunch of, uh, you know, community theater level actors, you know, yeah. being asked to play out all these scenarios in this uh, different clue yeah. game. Well, in the uh, in the Star Trek one, you get Robert O'Reilly uh, right. not playing Gowron. But he plays another yeah. Klingon. And yeah. what's hilarious is they give him a different Klingon forehead piece because that's right. how much the Star Trek production cares. Yes. It's the mold that we've already got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They like they're like, "Oh, we have all this stuff for you. We can just like, no, no, no. This is a different character." Now, Robert yeah. O'Reilly did not play it very differently. <laughs> he, wow. He did the Gowron eyes and everything. Um, yeah. but uh, it's just him on the sets uh with no other characters. It was shot very economically, probably on a weekend, uh, you know, during yeah. the fifth season or whatever. Um, you can watch it all on YouTube, by the way. If you it, a, a Klingon challenge, you can look it up, and it's a way, it's the only way you can play the game now, really. Um, right. But uh, but yeah, but for people who don't know, VCR board games are you start the tape, and it's just a, a looping background, nothing's going on, and you play this board game, and occasionally a, a, a scene will pop up that tells you to do something, and the game plays differently every time, just by the fact that you are at a different stage of gameplay when those scenes pop up, even though, of course, they pop up at the same time every time. Um, right. Now, you know, that illusion only lasts so long. You can play it three or four times before you start to like, okay, I, I get it now. I can see past the smoke and mirrors. But it was kind of clever. I give them some credit, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, it was a new technology and, and people were trying to think of like ways to integrate. I, I don't know if there was ever like, were there DVD board games? Yes, yeah. I think that, that, that era, um, I'm trying to think because... VCR board games, you know, early mid nineties yeah. novelties. Then there was a, a couple of, a couple of bigger ones, like horror themed games, like sort uh. of part party game style ones that were a little more popular. And then, and then, yeah, they, they went into the DVD era and then I think probably died out pretty soon, you know, 2000, 2003, I think was yeah. when they stopped being something that would, would be a more of a sure bet. You know, the novelty wore off, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was um, there there were games. Uh, there's a game called Seen It, like the movie scene. Yeah, where it's, right. it's trivial. It's trivial pursuit, but you watch DVD clips, kind of like yeah. Jeopardy style, where they show you a video clue. Um, yeah. and that was sort of interesting. I I mean, I don't know why people haven't re revised that in like the Chromecast era, you know, where you can cast media. Yeah. It, it, I think that would be a good. Maybe I should get on that. <laughs> I think there's an app, isn't there? There's like a seen it sort of uh, app based type game. Oh, there, mu oh, there must now. be. Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. I have. I don't know how popular that is, but uh, it could be a billion dollar industry. <laughs> like, there's so <laughs> <Yeah>. many facets <laughs> to video games. There's just a lot yeah. that any one yeah. of us doesn't know about. Well, the earliest Trek video games were entirely text-based, like Zork, and mm -hmm. kids today will never know Zork, yada, yada, yada. Uh, games like Star Trek, uh, Super Star Trek was another one. You know, throughout the 70s and 80s, there was a whole slew of probably unlicensed Trek games, speaking of indie developers. Uh -huh. And they were written in uh, BASIC or, or, or on DOS uh, that featured text adventures and ASCII graphics. Yeah, I think there's a famous one for Apple II. And I'm and I'm trying, or maybe the Apple One even. And I'm like, was that licensed? Like, how could that be licensed? Yeah. Like, who yeah. who made that phone call? Like, uh, you know, back in those <laughs> yeah. early eight bit computer days. Like, I don't know. But I guess maybe someone just made that phone call. I don't know. Um, it's possible, or it's possible they just went for it and yeah. uh, didn't didn't bother. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Market small enough. Who cares? Right. Yeah. Those days and are I mean, gone. This, but. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Those days are definitely gone. Uh, <laughs> and these are like really nerdy games for Trek nerds. Like, I, yeah. you know, they're not really reaching the mainstream, but the kind of person who would, you know, have uh, four or five uh, floppies to install this sort of thing uh, are the people who are looking for these kind of games too. Yeah. Yeah. 
the um man those that that era of computer games is so interesting because it was really pc based right like consoles yeah. uh, there were uh, the atari consoles that that industry crashed in the early 80s and um but what kept going was pc games and, it, and nintendo brought it back it's a very small period of time but like it allowed a lot more like creativity because the, uh, like there was arcade games that was for action games but PC games, PCs were not powerful enough to make do, do action games. So yeah. developers had to, designers rather, had to design games that would work on these machines. And that meant slower paced, more strategic, more text, which meant more story. And so yeah. those kind of limitations, uh, um, you know, I was talking earlier about like how many of the limitations have been lifted, but they, they still guide us in terms of the things we can make. And, you know, as an artist, I was like, let's making something in a box, uh, you know, is much more fulfilling than making something you know without without any limitations at all and yeah. so it's interesting like that era produced a lot of really interesting experiments that you know influenced games as you know through that era even though you, you wouldn't recognize them necessarily as such yeah there's an interesting line of uh spin-off games from those early star trek games mm -hmm. um called the starfleet universe by trevor Sorensen. yes that uh the, the starfleet battles is that what you're talking about yeah 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 that oh that is such a great story um it's the, like they licensed star trek as of 1979 so i think it might have included the first movie but maybe not and 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 it's it's a it, i guess there was a video game version but like the it was a tabletop tactical like wargaming kind of thing yeah um not like dnd but more like warhammer mm -hmm. and then and then, then you know, I guess they had no no idea that there would be more Star Trek, right? Like maybe they'd make a movie or two, but in that era, they're like, we ha we know what Star Trek is. Yeah. Um, but the license didn't include any new work. So as Star Trek diverged and made new movies and TV shows, this thing developed its own fiction that spun off, and and so it's just called the Starfleet Universe. It's so bizarre to me. It's yeah. fascinating though. There's a whole uh, Wikipedia article about it, and I think there's still. Fair, till, until fairly recently, they're still sort of developing and making new entries into it. As far as yeah, and it has its own, uh, it has its own history and its own like mm -hmm. you know, it has its own fans of, of its own unique yeah. lore that built yeah. on Star Trek. And um, when I was looking into this a while back um, for an episode we did of Nice Games Club, um, which is where a lot of my notes come from, <laughs> I didn't generate these new. Um, <laughs> when I was looking into this, the thing that fascinated me most was looking into uh, reading a lot of the lore and how very focused on military strategic um like uh territory control it felt very world war ii in a, yeah. in a way very history channel in yeah. in a sense that a lot of the story was geared towards the type of gameplay that this universe was part of and it right. really made me i mean one i i find that much inferior to to the the the, the lore developed for proper star trek naturally but yeah but it is interesting on how like um you know um uh, form follows function in a way yeah. Um, and I think that's something with, as a game developer, you have to think of like the kind of story you want to tell, like it needs to make sense with your mechanics and your mechanics should d uh, derive the kind of story you want to tell. So if you want to make a first person shooter, that's all about love and understanding, like good luck, you know, um, you can, you can do it, I guess, but it's not going to be effective either as a shooter or as a story. And, you know, I mean, I, I, someone will come up with a way, uh, but I think, uh, Starfleet Battles is a definite example because it, you, you have a case study of like what happens to a, 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 a storyline of fiction when yeah. it's governed by uh, essentially seen entirely through the lens of wargaming. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Which is not, um, ostensibly, that element exists in Trek, but it's not really the focus of Trek, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lots more, uh, uh, you know, heroes on the bridge, going out in a flame of glory kind of heroism. Yeah. And, and right. less the <laughs> leaning over a microscope heroism that we like to think is a little more Star Trek, you know? Yeah. Um, we should probably talk about uh, Star Trek arcade games. And the first Star Trek arcade game came out in 1983. Uh, Star Trek Arcade, also called Strategic Operations Simulator, was a vector graphics game very similar to 1983's Star Wars, which came out in arcades the same year. You ever played this game? No, I've, I'm trying to think of any Star Trek. I played a Voyager arcade game that was like a yeah, light there gun is a shooter. Voyager light gun. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah um, but uh, but I'm probably a little. I'm, I'm too young for a lot of those earlier games. Um, I was lucky enough. Ones. To find a retro arcade that had Star Trek Arcade oh, and yeah? played it. And uh, yeah, it's um, if you've ever seen or played a version of the old Star Wars arcade yeah, game, it's, yeah. it's very similar to that. So is is all of the Star Trek of it like on the uh, the decals on the side of the cabinet? Or is there any of the arts, the vector art, does it actually feel like it looks like Star Trek at all? Actually, it does. There's they've got a precedent in the the movies, right? Like in uh, I think Wrath of Khan, you oh, know, yeah. you see some vector graphics, and so those are kind of translate to the game. Like you're fighting um, Klingon warbirds, and they look mm-hmm. uh, similar to what you see in the graphics in in the films and stuff like that. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it's kind of a neat game. Yeah, I would totally. I don't know how much uh, a cabinet it is, but if I was going to make a big purchase, I'd totally <laughs> go for that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, like you mentioned, there was a, there was a Borg uh, arcade game, there was a, a Voyager uh, a light gun arcade game, and um, recently we were talking about VR before. Uh, recently, there's been a couple um, Star Trek VR games uh, that have come out uh, in limited release. There was a Star Trek Discovery Away Mission VR experience, and that's one of those ones where you have. To, it's not going to be in an arcade. You have to go to like like a, you know, VR experience company. Oh, that's so interesting. So with a I, dedicated room, yeah. Uh, literally, the most recent example, uh, or the most, most recent episode of Nice Games Club was with uh, a designer, Dana Ware. She worked hmm. at The Void, which was one of those mm. companies that made these mm-hmm. these things. Yep. And we, we yep. talked to her about designing for those kinds of experiences. I don't know. They did a Star Wars one, I know. I don't think they did that Discovery one. Um, okay. But, um, but yeah, that's been on my mind recently, that kind of, those kinds of, like, um, more uh, location-based kind of VR experiences. Yeah, what, what's yeah. different about that from when you like you you know touch a prop in your living room that's virtual and you tump fall over because you think it's not there. Right. In these yeah, places, yeah. they build they build plywood boxes for you to actually lean against for a virtual yeah. thing. I've seen um, a video and it is a, an escape room type situation. Yeah. 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 Uh, also, Dave and Buster's uh, did Dark Remnant, which is a VR game slash ride uh, that focuses on. It kind of it's just a shooter experience, more or less. I've actually mm-hmm. played this one. Um, I wrote an article about it for for a website, and it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, you sit down in like a sled type thing, you know, with uh, ten or twelve seats, and it moves around. And you're um, it's a two, Star Trek two thousand nine era type uh, scenario uh, with uh, I think the celebrity uh, voices do the talent or uh, do the voice talent too. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's interesting how some of these like um, are are like promotional. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. They, they're very tied to, um, you know, there's a couple of those in the 90s that were, you know, tied to the launch of, uh, you know, I, I think the DS9 Genesis game was launched like to help promote DS9 in 93. Yeah. Um, but but a couple of these, they feel a little bit more event style or pop up. Right. They're, yeah. Like you said, limited release because they're meant to just to be part of a marketing budget, perhaps. Yeah. Right. Le- less less meant to sit on a shelf forever, you know. Yeah, and with the um, the closure of a lot of arcades in 2020, I have no idea if that still exists. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean the the void shut down over the pandemic. It's, it's oh yeah, been, sure. It's been really rough. Like I, you know, I, I've been uh, man. There's gaming conventions that I'm like not I'm not going to. That yeah. I'm just reading a lot about how like people are trying to find ways to like make VR demoable again. And yeah. you know, um, I mean, not to get too much into pandemic talk, but like surface transmission is different from what we thought it was a year ago. But all of our thinking about wiping everything down urgently is still there. But of course, that was a good idea to begin with. So like, it's you know, um, yeah. v- VR was never a good thing to do at at, at a at a convention. Um, yeah. But it was kind of <laughs> worth it, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But maybe maybe now we'll we'll give up on that, which is a little sad. Um, yeah. yeah, it is interesting that that the arc, like I mean arcades have been dying for decades in a sense, but like they've been reinvented and re- rethought and yeah. you know there's been and and um yeah and like video game installations are so fascinating to take you know console style experiences and then adding you know real world location based stuff either as temporary as a permanent sort of thing and yeah, yeah the future the future of that ugh, I don't know. Publisher Simon & Schuster got in on the text adventure trend with a series of games in the late 80s, like the Kobayashi Alternative and the Promethean Prophecy. So the the text uh, games are still happening at that point. Uh, In the 90s, with the debut of Star Trek The Next Generation and the Trek boom of the 90s, a lot of video games followed suit. Uh, 1992 saw the release of Star Trek 25th Anniversary uh, with a sequel called Judgment Rights that came out the next year. And they were both developed by Interplay, which uh, old video game heads will uh, recognize that developer. And they are yeah. point-and-click style adventure games. Yeah, those are, when I was mentioning earlier, like the ones that feel a little bit clunky, a little bit um, obtuse. Th- this is those categories a little bit. Yeah. Um, Judgment Rights, I think, came off a little better than some of these other ones. Um, mm. It's also the last appearance of the entire original crew on a single project. Um, yeah. Because it came out after Generations, which didn't have the whole crew, but that was after Star Trek VI. Um, and so that that has an interesting place in Star Trek history. It's the last time the whole crew was together. Yeah. And as far as the design of it goes, you know, we talked about like what makes a Star Trek game. I do think that the uh, the episodic design and nature of the game really helps that, you know, mm-hmm. it's divided and they don't really call them levels, but I guess it's kind of like levels where eat, there's like seven or eight scenarios and each one of them has a title, like a Star Trek episode. Yes. And each yeah. one f- features the Enterprise going to a specific planet and dealing with something and needing to find clues uh, to solve, you know, whatever the problem is. Um yeah, that, I just is think a, that, they're... that is a great model for a Star Trek game. And I'm, yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised. Well, there was a sequel planned that didn't get released, right? The, um, Secret mm-hmm. of Vulcan Fury that used yeah. a similar model. It was written yeah. by Dorothy Fontana um, yeah. and uh, sort of tragically unfinished. Um, but I think that maybe that's the reason why that, that model, that sort of episodic mission model for a Star Trek game didn't really resurface, is to my memory anyway. But it's, a, it's such a great idea for because you can do that kind of thing where you can tell a bunch of different tales you could build mm-hmm. up to a larger theme i think judgment rights had a kind of like a finale in, in a sense as well right mm-hmm. um the, the one I, there's one from that era that i think simon and schuster maybe it wasn't but it was spectrum holobyte made the next generation of final unity which was basically yeah. a just a star trek episode that was kind yeah. of a point and click i that's a game i played i had the strategy guide for that one um, I, I love that. And that, I think that was made after TNG went off the air. Um, uh, but it just felt like a season four, season five episode. It was really cool. Yeah, that was, uh, I never got to play that one. I did play uh, Star Trek uh, Echoes from the Past for the Sega Genesis. I think there was an NES version called Futures Past. And that was like the the the, the dark side of what we're talking about. Like I felt, <laughs> you know, I never got through the game and I don't remember if I 
there was an instruction manual or not, but all the the idea was to give you the feeling that you were the commander of the Enterprise D and you could, you know, go into the data bank and it had all these like things that would have been really interesting in a well-developed like modern game, like a database, the ability to fly to, you know, one of a thousand planets. But the NES or the uh, the SNES um, control interface was just so leaden and trying to get to where you're going. And they say, go to this planet. And if you go to beta five instead of beta six, then you're just, you know, there's nothing there. And yeah. it was just not very rewarding. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, you really want, as a game designer, you want to have like, it, you want it to feel real, which means it has to have more places to go than places you need to go. Sure. It needs to have systems that are more complicated than what you need the, to task to complete right now to feel yeah. real. Like there's a bigger world to imply a bigger world. But at the same time, that's going to make it tedious and boring. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, that's a fine line to walk. There's a lots of tricks you have to do to sort of make that feel intuitive, to give the player the impression that they're a real Starfleet officer who knows how to use this equipment and not someone fumbling around on their Super Nintendo controller trying to remember which button does what, you know? Yeah. And these are all games that feature, you know, you're on, you're on the ship and you fly somewhere and then you usually beam down. Uh, in 1993 or 94, we got Deep, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine Crossroads of Time, which was a side scroller for the Genesis and the NES. Yeah, my, my favorite fact about that is something I think about a lot when I, when I, I didn't play that when it was new, but I, I, I played it some years ago yeah. and I think that's a great game. Um, it's it, okay. Great game is maybe overselling it. It's, it's, a, it's <laughs> interestingly, it's, there's good things about it. One, the yeah. story is interesting. It's really enmeshed in that first two seasons of DS nine, Bajoran right. politics stuff, which yeah. like, I, I love that. And one of the things that I, DS9 is my favorite Star Trek, but I do kind of wish they'd stuck with that and did less Dominion stuff, as much as I mm. also like that. I think they lost a lot of Bajoran politics, which I really, I adored that in the first couple of seasons. And that, the, of course, that was when it was released, so it's around that time. The thing, the one fact, the thing that's so interesting to me is that you play a Cisco running around the station, diffusing bombs and knocking people out uh, in the side scroll. It's just, way, the game is way too hard. But um, Cisco's not wearing a comm badge. Uh, and the reason is, is because you need to be able to flip that sprite to reverse it so he's going left or right oh, and there's yeah. not enough system memory so they decided rather than have half the time because it's very much a backtracking kind of game so you do move left as often as yeah. you move right yeah. and so it, they decided that it was just not worth it to put the combat on so low resolution enough you could just kind of imagine it's there and <laughs> the thing about that was so interesting to me as a game designer thinking about like holistic design like making sure all the pieces come together is okay it's 1993 it's the Sega Genesis we can't have two whole sets of player sprites. I get it. But maybe <laughs> maybe we should. Like maybe we can have one fewer enemy, which is going to make the game not as fun. Or maybe we'll have one fewer level, which will make the game shorter and not as good perhaps. But I right. think that's worth it in this case, right? Because it, the, uh, to make a make that flip uh, sprite for, for the Cisco character because that emblem is so important. And it feels so trivial. Like if you're, because, you know, this is a licensed game. I'm sure someone, producer, someone made that choice of saying like, listen, this is a good solution. We'll just drop that off and you'll just kind of pretend it's there. And then we won't have that weird backwardsness. But I feel that, that in this particular example, they missed out on what's important about the sort of iconography of Star Trek. And it is interesting. It, I, I don't know that, that, that I'm really hung up on that about like how nobody thought that had any value. When I would say that has, in other games, I totally agree. Like, you know, if you have a, a character with an asymmetrical outfit and you flip the sprite and it, it looks backwards, that's kind of fine. Like, you can get away yeah. with that just without making a separate set of sprites. Yeah. Uh, but I think in this case, uh, I think that it's it definitely, 
it, it feels like a lesson to me about like what's important when you make games and it is going to yeah. de- it depends on all that context you know yeah uh, 94 was a big year for Trek games. Uh, we also got Star Trek, Starfleet Academy, Starship Bridge Simulator. Wow. For the SNES and Sega 32X, uh, which was similar to the TOS Interplay games, just a sort of upgraded mm-hmm. uh, graphical interface. Um and 1996 is where things sort of start to break off. You know, uh, 1996 brought us Star Trek Klingon and Star Trek Borg from Simon and Schuster. And these are both like, uh, you know, take the board game out of the VHS game. You know, they feature interactive mo- movies, yeah, uh, choose your own adventure st- uh, style games. It's definitely better than the, the VHS board game. Uh, one, <laughs> yeah. Star Trek Klingon was directed by Jonathan Frakes, um, yeah. which is very cool. Um, and it featured a lot of the background actors who played Klingons in other episodes. They yeah. got to have speaking roles, and it was a little bit... And I think Gowron does make an appearance in that one as well. Um, yeah. It's a pretty simple choose-your-own-adventure game. Uh, so it's, more, it's more, more depth than the VCR game, but not by much. But mm-hmm. um, the best thing about that game is it had a third disc, which was the Klingon Language Lab, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. which was <laughs> an interactive yeah. Klingon dictionary that... Um, uh, uh, that if it came from you know from the published Klingon dictionary, but it was actually a, a little. It's like um, uh, Duolingo for Klingon, you know, right? Twenty five right. years before Duolingo, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, that's that's one I definitely had um, you know in its era, and I remember playing through that. Um, and that that's from a whole range of Simon and Schuster games that were kind of edutainment kind of like yes. um they, there was the Star Trek technical interactive technical manual which yeah. you could walk around the Enterprise with these. It's actually the best. Uh, representation of the Enterprise sets because there's lots of they did this QuickTime VR uh, which is the the silly name but it's the name for the 360 video um, mm-hmm. from the mid 90s and you could walk around a low resolution but still the best views of certain sets of the uh, 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 next generation and Simon and Schuster like their video games for Star Trek the whole time they had the license always had a little bit of a serious bent to them and as as a as a kid who didn't love other children's programming and was like, I was kind of born age 30. Like those were the, those were the games for me. I love the Simon and Schuster stuff, um, yeah. which is sort of why, maybe it's partly why when I feel something like Voyager elite force, I, I'm a little bit more dismissive of that because I'm like, yeah. where, where, where's the, where's the extra disc where I get to read the codex about all the Delta quadrant species. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in uh, elite force, you know, they've, they've pretty much modeled a lot of Voyager anyway. So why can't I just like walk around and explore? Yeah. Uh, it's a good looking game. Voyager. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, oh, the days of FMV. Every every video game had to cram a bunch of <laughs> video in there. Um, yeah. Star Trek Deep Space Nine Harbinger came out in 1996. Uh, and the, in that game, the player takes control of a new character, uh, Envoy Bannock, and interacts with the crew of the station in a, in a puzzle-type adventure, uh, similar to games like The Eleventh Hour. So yeah. in this case, you know, it's all voiced by the actors from the show, but you are just playing, you know, new guy who gets to interact with them instead of you being Cisco. Yeah, it- uh, that's one I wish I had I had played. I haven't played that one yet. That, there's another DS9 game that's similar called The Fallen. Which, oh, yes. Uh, which is also... Uh, uh, Avery Brooks didn't appear in that one. I think it had a sound alike, but everybody else showed up. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that one is interesting because it's compared that to Elite Force, um, where the, the, the they're both shooters, but The Fallen is a little bit more, um, a little more RPG-ish, a little more story going on. 
uh, uh, trying a little harder. And of course, Simon and Schuster made it. So that yeah. might, might be why. The other interesting game developer fact about this that I don't know how much, it's interesting to me anyway, is Elite Force was made with the Quake 3 engine. And mm. the Fallen was made with the Unreal Tournament engine. And right. so, and those two engines at the time, right now, um, if you're a game developer, uh, um, uh, an indie game developer, especially the options you, the, there are big engines you can choose from to build your game in are Unity and Unreal. And yeah. Unreal um, uh, has a lineage that goes all the way back to Unreal Tournament. And, um, and back then it was competing with the Quake engine. So th that those, those Unreal and Quake licensed their engines to different companies to make different games and they competed. And you, there was lots of, internet arguments over which one was better from gamers who didn't understand the difference. Um, yeah. What I find so fascinating about that, it's a little bit like Voyager and DS9 are so, it's so perfect that Voyager chose one and DS9 chose the other. Yeah. It just yeah. seems so appropriate for like that era of Star Trek, like how yeah. different those shows are, you know, but ostensibly yeah. to an outsider, they're the same, you know? Yeah. They're, yeah. They're both very entertaining games, but yeah, yeah. that, that I love that dichotomy. Yeah. Um, Adventure seems to be the genre that Trek uh, is going to in this period. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we get games in 97, like Star, Star Trek Starfleet Academy, which is a simulation game. Um, we also get 1997 Star Trek Generations, which was a first-person shooter from Microprose that was based on the theatrical film. Uh, I uh, I never played that one. Um, yeah, of course, I, I think the premiere... I haven't even heard of that one. Huh. Yeah, the premiere Trek FPS, you know, would be uh, Elite Force, obviously. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I wasn't unfamiliar with that. And then, of course, uh, 1998 gives us Star Trek Pinball. And we haven't even touched on Pinball yet. Of course, Trek has had machines since 1979 when the first uh, Bally machine came out for Star Trek Pinball. Mm -hmm. um, you know, other than those um, d detours into different genres, um, Adventure seems to be uh, where uh, Trek lands. Uh, up until the point where it sort of goes off into real-time strategy yeah. and a bit of simulation. In 1998, Star Trek Starship Creator came out. I don't know if you're familiar with Starship Creator, but... Oh, it's yeah. A... I'm familiar with Starship Creator. Okay. All right. It's For people <laughs> who don't know, don't know it's, a, it's a weird little title that I think was kind of critically panned, but I know that I enjoyed. Um, you get to basically like build your own starships, and then you get to like send them off and like do little things. It's sort of like... Um, uh, like an early idle game kind of where your, yeah. your, your ship just goes off on its own, man. If everyone it's, it's kit bash, the video game. And, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, as fans, you saw all the, like the models that were made from other parts in the backgrounds of next generation episodes. Yeah. And, and what's great is that it developed a little in universe lore about like, that's how starships are built. They have a hull, they have nacelles, they have the saucer and you yeah. can, and they are interchangeable to a degree. And, and, and there's like a mystery, like what, how does that work in the engineering labs like at space stock how do they make those decisions are these refits or and like starship creator just got to let you play with that which was so yeah. cool A another one from you know my friends at simon and schuster <laughs> yeah right yeah Starfleet Command came out in 1999. It's a real-time space battle game with no story mode. It's just a sort of versus. And I remember many frustrating nights of LAN parties trying to get this to work for six players. Yeah. Huh. I, I don't know. I never heard of that one. Uh, yeah, it's this, you know, simulation uh, battle type thing. You get to be um, the Romulans or the Federation and yeah. pit, uh, pit their ships against each other. Um, Star Trek Hidden Evil was in 1999, and that's a third person action game based on the events of Star Trek Insurrection. And I don't remember this one at all, but yeah, I, I think it's either. significant as it's one of, if not the first of the Trek third person action games. Uh, another one is, of course, what we mentioned before, DS9's The Fallen. I... Remember playing The Fallen? I loved The Fallen, and I wish that it would end up on 
good old games, you know, or yeah. something like that, because it is it's almost impossible to make work, you know, on a modern machine. Right, right. A DS9 has has had an interesting revival in the past five or six years. Yeah, like Star Trek fans are like, oh, it's the it's the the middle child or whatever. But I think it's it, it as you know, Star Trek went to Netflix. I think it's found a whole new audience. I think that that game, particularly because it's you know one of the better examples. Um, it really should be revived, as you described. That would be yeah, good. I think so. Yeah, uh, in two thousand we get Star Trek Armada, which is one of the first uh, RTS games for Trek, mm-hmm. uh, which is a genre I think Trek is probably well suited for. Yeah, they did. There's a there ended up being a couple of those, um, and some of that rolled into the way Star Trek Online works. And yeah, um, there's a little bit of the sort of fantasy of just piloting a ship is pretty cool. Um, yeah, a couple of console games that that use that as well. Yeah, gathering resources, get, getting dilithium crystals and yeah. things like that. Uh, 2000 and 2001 were big years for Trek video games. We got Star Trek Klingon Academy, Star Trek New Worlds, uh, Starfleet Command 2, uh, and Starship Creator 2, and Star Trek Invasion, which this, every time I go to a con, I always check all the merch tables. I'm always <laughs> looking for a copy of Star Trek Invasion because I've never played it, but it's by the same team who developed uh, Colony Wars, which is one of my favorite huh. space sh- uh, shooter uh, Sims on uh, early PlayStation. Um, Want to get my hands on that real bad. Uh, and then, of course, in 2000, we get Elite Force, uh, which features the entire cast of Voyager doing the voices. Uh, I just posted the final chapter uh, in my Let's Play series of Elite Force on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can find that on the Just Enough Trip YouTube channel. Uh, that game got a sequel in 2003. Uh, also in 2001, we got Star Trek Away Team, which was a, a real-time tactics game in the style of your syndicates or your desperados, uh, which seems like it could be a good fit. Um, it seems like at this point, <laughs> after we've gone through all these genres, the strategy is just to throw Trek into every genre possible and see what works. Yeah, that's that's the thing about Star Trek games is, one, uh, kind of I was saying at the top, like it really reflects how incompatible Star Trek is to like the motivations that govern game players and i yeah. think and and so some of the better examples are ones that either um take a more nuanced approach or really take the star trekky part of it seriously enough to change those mechanics to fit it mm-hmm. but the yeah. other thing that these games reflect is just like the eras in which what were popular right oh for sure um, yeah because you kind of it's easy to just sort of like uh, treat Star Trek as a coat of paint on some of these. And then it reveals what was popular in 2002, what was popular in 1996. Like yeah. it, it, it kind of like, Oh, this is just what was the, what was going on. And, and more than other games of those eras, which feel a little bit more of their, you know, they, a lot of them, even though if they were trend followers, a lot have a lot of their own unique qualities. Whereas sometimes the Star Trek games are just like, yeah, this is what's happening. And it's kind of an interesting little way to view video game history. That's, uh, yeah, what's going on in Trek definitely influences uh, how the games come out. I mean, in the mid-aughts, Trek leaves TV. And so the games start to kind of dry up and we yeah. don't get like multiple releases per year. Um, in the mid-aughts, though, we did get uh, Star Trek Bridge Commander, uh, Tactical Assault Legacy and Encounters, all of which were for consoles, because of course consoles are uh, taking the market over at this point. Yeah. Um, Star Trek Conquest, which is a strategy game, came out in 2007. Uh, Star Trek DAC, which was a multiplayer combat game, came out in 2009 to coincide with the release of the J.J. Abrams movie. And Mm -hmm. likewise, the third-person action game, just simply Star Trek, comes out in 2013 to coincide with the release of Into Darkness. A bad film, and from all accounts, (laughs) a pretty bad game. Yeah, so the thing about that game is it's like a, it's an interquel between the the 2009 and and Yeah, which is a good 
it's probably a good uh, thing to do. It's a good instinct. Yeah, it has it has its own unique story. It, it involves the Gorn, which is kind of fun. Yeah. I had a really cool ad campaign where William Shatner <laughs> yes. was in it, um, <laughs> yes. and and the guy in the a guy in the original in the original Gorn costume was playing with him in a living room. So very yeah. cute, um, <laughs> very Shatner. Um, I don't I don't hate that game. It's not good. The the story's not great. The mechanics are it's very a uh, Gears of War kind of third person cover shooter yeah, action yeah. game. But I, I kind of don't mind. Like there's a, it's like, uh, same way like mediocre Star Trek is still Star Trek. Like the thing about this game is like, yeah, it's kind of bad. But like, who cares? Like, it's okay. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not committing, it's not committing any crimes. You know. Sure. Yeah, I'll have to give it another chance. I think I played a demo or, or saw a video or something and thought not for me. But uh, yeah, I'll have to give they, that a they were planning on. So this was the era of the PlayStation Move, which was the PlayStation's yeah. uh, uh, copying the Wii remote. This is before VR, so which used right. the Move controllers. Um, there was a plan to make this game, make a, a phaser peripheral for the PlayStation Move to sell with this game. Like, yeah. You know, the, which was a, a bad idea. I'm glad they didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> in 2010, of course, Star Trek Online is yeah. released. And that gives us one of Trek's longest running and arguably most successful games. Are you a Star Trek Online player? You know, I, I will tell you, when Star Trek Online was announced, it was announced in 2005, I want to say. <laughs> wow. Um, and uh, 2004, it was 2004. I was okay. in college at the time, and this, and I was, I was reintroducing myself to Star Trek, right? Um, and so, uh, and getting obsessed with it again. And so, I was on the message boards for Peripheral uh, Perpetual Entertainment, which was the company that announced Star Trek Online. And I didn't play World of Warcraft. I didn't really know how MMOs were supposed to work. And uh -huh. so, I was just on the forum with these other Star Trek fans. Some of them were game players. Some of them weren't. And we just talked about what it was going to be like to live on a starship. The plan originally was that you would be an ensign on a starship. You'd be assigned uh, tasks. You would be, uh, you, uh, 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 the, uh, the eventual game that was released was a lot more practical and realistic where you get yeah. your own ship right away. Even if you're an ensign, you're still captain of that ship. Like it, a lot more, but, but man, it originally had these big, big ideas. There was a ton of discussion on those message boards about, um, about credits and in-game money. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, uh, like, are, are you going to start at the academy? Are you going to play 20 hours at the academy before you get to, you know, assigned to a, to an Excelsior class on in the yeah. lower decks of the Excelsior or whatever? God, that's so and just all this, we really wanted to do this like role playing and it just how naive we all were to, yeah. <laughs> when the game finally came out. And it's actually quite loving in, in its appreciation of Star Trek. But at oh, the same yeah. time, that game has seven types of currency. It has all. It commits all the sins of MMOs. And as a game developer, part of it offends me a little bit that like they took this property and just glommed on all the MMO mechanics. And so if you if you play World of Warcraft, if you play Final Fantasy fourteen, you can play Star Trek. And if you like Star Trek, it's a great experience. But if yeah. you just like Star Trek, and even if you do like Star Trek and video games, it's yeah. a little hard to digest. But it is full of tons of fan references. Um, you know, um, they you got to see Captain Nog really early in the game, yeah, yeah. Uh, voiced by Aaron Eisenberg, um, which is a, which is great, especially now uh, that he's gone. Um, it, it's it is, you know, they keep bringing back actors to do little fun things, and it's all if you care about the if you have the dog-eared copy of the Star Trek Encyclopedia, <laughs> you are rolling your eyes constantly at Star Trek Online. But like, and the currency <laughs> thing is, I would say, unforgivable in terms of it being a Star Trek game. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. It, it it really does love Star Trek in a way that like it does feel like Star Trek theme park, you know. 
That's so so interesting that you and your friends were all thinking in terms of like simulation, right? Or yeah, like yeah. um or, they, or role play. Like this is this is what we want. Like we we all want to be in Star Trek. So obviously this game is gonna like let us live this yeah, life of Star we're Trek. We're all gonna go and have poker nights. Like it was just yeah. we really we were so naive. We really thought that and, was gonna be like. And here I am in like two thousand twenty one and my uh, Romulan Republic officer <laughs> is being asked by Laurel to help the Klingons with their thing, and I'm like, Why do I have to do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's 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 that is video games are just that now. Like all the Star Trek mobile games mix up all the IP of it. Every Marvel game that yeah. is that is not story based is just yeah. trading cards, basically, where you have everything from everything. And just you just it's playing with a bucket of toys. And sure. I think that I think that's okay. Like I, it's not my speed, but I, I I think that's a perfectly fine way to approach an IP. Um, yeah. But it's it is weird, <laughs> like yeah. for Star Trek in particular, because of how. Um, you know, because we are the original nitpickers to just throw all that out and say like, yeah, put on a purple uniform. It's fine. Like, it's like, um, okay. Like, yeah. I, guess, I guess purple's fun. Like how, how are you like, it's so, I mean, I never want to tell anyone to not have fun, but part of me is like, sure. Maybe we shouldn't have latinum in this game. Like, you know, like we shouldn't use latinum <laughs> to buy a warp nacelle upgrade. Like that feels wrong. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. I, don't know, I feel like a humbug about it sometimes. Well, you know, we all have our opinions. <laughs> we didn't talk much about uh, mobile games, but yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Uh, games like Timelines uh, or Trexels or even uh, Fleet Command, which mm-hmm. is, um, is still going strong, uh, all just yeah, it's con, you know, versus uh, alternate universe, uh, somebody or other. Yeah, it's yeah. They just combine all the all the elements together. Star Trek's obviously you know a successful franchise with a fan base that likes video games, but. There doesn't seem to be much going on. I mean, there's nothing major in development right now, as far as I can tell. Star Trek Adversaries was a virtual CC uh, game that was shut down uh, because we don't know why because, but it's just not going anymore. And there's nothing really on the horizon. Like, why do you think there's so little movement currently on bringing Trek games to consumers? I I think so. Bridge Crew came out a couple years ago and uh, Star Trek Ascendancy, which is a hundred dollar board game, um, which... um, you're going to have to give me a minute to get into that because I love that game. Okay. Um, and then Star Trek Adventures, which is a role-playing game, a pen and paper, roll your die role-playing game. Uh, that is going pretty strong right now, um, but it came out a while ago. They're doing updates and, and you know expansions and stuff. But I think you are right. There isn't like a big... Um, I mean, Bridge Crew was really the last big one, right? The big, yeah. main, big mainstream. Uh, Ubisoft made it and, uh, and put a lot of support into it because it was very popular. Um, and Star Trek Online, I guess, has never been more popular. But like, those are all going concerns, right? There isn't anything. I mean, maybe there's something planned. But I think part of it is, um, I mean, as a licensed property, there needs to be some kind of hook to bring a general audience. Like, oh yeah, I saw that Star Trek movie. I'll play that Star Trek game. It's yeah. a little harder, I think, to say like, I've been watching Discovery and enjoying it. I'll play a Discovery game. Like, even though it feels like the same conversation, I think that's a little harder sell because it's you know. Like, where's that story going to take place? Like, it's, it's a little easier to do these kinds of video game spinoffs um, mm-hmm. when there's something, um, when there's like events, right? And I yeah. think Star Trek has now again become this just rolling uh, uh, machine. And I think it's probably, it's probably a little bit to do with that. I also think that licensed games generally um, that are not mobile games, um, are kind of are, are on their way out. Like there it used to be that every movie that came out had a video game that was released on the same day, right? Yeah, right. Um, right. And, and they were all pretty bad usually. Um, yeah, right. But, you know, if 
if you like that property, you could have an, a good time with it. Um, they were always, you know, they always had to meet a deadline. So the, the developers are always under, they had to cut a lot of features yeah. at the last minute. Um, right. And, you know, movie schedules change and they don't care what, what that does to the the poor Activision sub-studio that's responsible for it, <laughs> yeah. um, for the tie-in. Um, but like... Um, or a claim. Depends on what year we're talking about. Yeah, here. exactly yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is interesting how sometimes you'll, you'll uh, some something will be delayed. And then, especially in these this past two years with the pandemic, the movies have been delayed, but then tie-in media kind of gets released eventually around it or something, like a comic yeah. book or, or you know, some sort of uh, um, uh, so a mobile game or something like that. Um, but generally, like, uh, big, big action games uh, don't really get tied into the release of these properties anymore. So they need to sort of live on their own merits. And so that's, like, a harder conversation to have. And I guess if I'm developing a game at a studio... I kind of just want to make my own thing. I don't really want to make, I mean, I want to make a Star Trek game, but also I kind of don't. I kind of just want to make my own thing inspired by my love of Star Trek rather than as much as everyone wants to get their hands on properties. I think, I think there's less motivation to make these things unless you have a really cool core idea like yeah. Star Trek bridge crew, which was yeah. a, just a good enough idea that it made sense. It made more sense to make that a Star Trek game than yeah. to make it a, a unique property. You know what I mean? That's so interesting because it's such a huge universe and th nobody has ever needed an excuse to make a Star Wars game. But like something like <laughs> uh, something like Fallen Order, which came out recently, which yeah, I know it had problems and bugs and things like that. But it's <laughs> like it was such a strong story that didn't necessarily really tie into anything that was going on in the films yeah. or any um, extended properties. And it was so the story at least was so well accepted that they're, you know, looking at possibly, you know, it has been licensed, I think, an option uh, to be a, a movie. And that's something that they didn't, I'm sure they made a ton of money, you know, releasing that game and it didn't have to be made. It wasn't necessarily tied to anything. I just mm -hmm. feel like that this is part of like what I said earlier about how I think Star Trek needs to diversify so that they could have an element, an area of the universe, a character or a show that they could just do something like this. Like if you had made Elite Force now, it could have really taken off and then we could like make an Elite Force show, you know, or an Elite Force movie or something yeah, like that. Yeah, interesting. I, so the Star Wars is a good comparison because it, it's, I think it's the different relationship to the expanded universe, right? Like there yeah, was that yeah. Shadows of the Empire for Nintendo 64. <laughs> yeah. It was just like a Han Solo type, but not Han Solo. Yeah. And right. like, <laughs> and I don't think you could do that with Star Trek. I think. A regular I th I type. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't see why not exactly, but it, it's harder for me to imagine a Star Trek game because Star Trek is, is a, is a big universe and you can, you could have your own spinoff in the Star Trek universe, but just make it a video game like that. Like just like yeah. you were saying, it, it, then it could later inspire other things. That seems like a good idea for Star Trek, but it, I have a little harder time imagining it. I almost, <laughs> I almost want like a cooking mama game, but it's like one of the promenade vendors or something. Okay. Like, like I almost think that would be better than say like the adventures of the USS, whatever. Like, yeah. um, I think that'd be a harder sell for people. It's maybe it's a little easy. It's a little easier to be like, here's a star Wars game starring a new character, but there's a lightsaber and a droid that he travels with. And yeah. it's like, that feels a little bit more just like closer to what star Wars is. Like that's, yeah. I mean, the core of star Wars is it's props basically. So maybe, yeah, yeah. well that's, yeah, that's, I, I think with star Trek, it. it's a little harder to say, here's a person with four pips and a phaser and they beam places. I don't think that's as attractive to someone who like, I think, does that make sense? I don't know. I'm, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe that's the, not true. The, I don't know. What would the Star Trek Dark Souls game be like? Yeah. Just, uh, 
you fail to to scan the thing in time or something like they have to yeah. do it again. Well, developers can have trouble translating the feel of Star Trek to video games, as we've discussed. But mm-hmm. can you think of any mainstream games or indie games that capture a similar feeling to Star Trek? Oh, that's a really good question. I actually, I don't think so. I think, and that's a bit of a concern I have. Um, one of the things that I feel as a developer, and I'll, I'll, here, I'll just, I'll just plug my own work. So sure. <laughs> if, you'll, if you'll allow me, um, <laughs> I put out a game in 2019 called Widget Satchel, which is a game where you play as a ferret on a space station uh, causing mischief. So not very Star Trek-like. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the station is this remote outpost, and I did a lot of world building in the game that is um, revealed as you sort of wander through. And the idea is that um, it is a very, it's a very Star Trek kind of place. And what I wanted to do with that is not just give it a coat of paint of Star Trek or like, you know, it's, it's Federation, but called something different. I yeah. wanted to make it, I wanted to imply to the player that this is a universe where there aren't big enemies, where there isn't a big bad. It's, you're just, you're just goofing off on a ship. Right. And the care, the human characters who are your obstacles in the game, they're the, the people who will put you back in your playpen. They're not your enemies. And I think that's one of the things that I love about Star Trek is the idea that like, you know, in another universe, we could be friends. Right. I think that's such a powerful, if cliched at this point message, but I don't think we see enough of that in video games, which are, which are, uh, are very much based on defeat the enemy beat your friends, knock down the tower, like destroy the thing, uh, you know, uh, win the war. Uh, like that is so yeah. core to what games are because they're, they're competition in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I feel as a developer, I'm much more interested in games being an avenue for story. Now that doesn't mean you can't have competition or you can't have fierce competition, but I, I want to make things where I don't want to, I don't want players to treat it that, to take that part of it seriously, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think, so with Widget Satchel, it, the game, you run around, you knock crap over, like you are clumsy, you, you explode things, but you don't, <laughs> you don't destroy anything in a sense. And so the game has a kind of a tone um, that is very, in, in a lot of ways, inspired by Star Trek's kind of approach, which is that, you know, the, uh, Picard can go to a planet and there's a big conflict, even though he could solve it with one photon torpedo. Yeah. Um, and I think like, you know, I'm not taking exactly those scenarios from Star Trek, but I think I, I, I do want to see more games that take those kinds of thoughts about like, it isn't just about what's possible or it isn't it about one, one force versus another force who has the higher number, who rolls the best, uh, you know, status check on the 20 sided die and much more about choices and self-regulation. And um, I don't know, I, I, these are kind of like, they can feel like ideas that are too big and too um, a little bit too uh, hoity-toity for video games, but yeah. I, they, they shouldn't be right. We we talk about no, that stuff no. in other media, um, but that's part. I guess that's part of why, you know, I try to put as much of that in Widget Satchel. But it's a small game. I'm an indie developer, so it has a small scale. Um, yeah. But I don't see a lot of other games kind of um, embracing that notion of of moving outside the the language of. Uh, I mean, we're not doing high scores anymore, but that's still what video games feel like in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not—that's nothing wrong with that exactly. It's just I feel there's there's more we could do, you know. And Star Trek feels like a good inspiration to to find out what more we could do. Yeah, that cooperative element is is certainly uh, thin on the ground as in, in most games. Yeah. Um, I I would put a, a word in for the Outer Wilds. Which I feel like is a game that has, you know, so much of it is literally about space travel, but also just about um, exploration and sort of putting the pieces together of a narrative that you you learn more about, you know, the deeper that you go into. Yeah, the world yeah. 
there's a cynicism i think in that game that, um, that's true that's that true. i feel and and so but you know that's the thing is a different dimensions right it, it, like um you know star trek is the least cynical thing ever but that doesn't mean you couldn't have something that has that feeling and yeah. add some cynicism to it so that, yeah, i think that's yeah. all right um and they're they're doing all these they're like branding minecraft in all these ways now if there's not a star trek minecraft then somebody <laughs> should get fired like yeah uh you know you 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 cooperate you build things you know you could just skin it as you know phasers and, and things like that and batleths instead of uh pitchforks and, yeah. or whatever they've got yeah uh, and somebody, minecraft, somebody at viacom's got to get that going there's a there's a i mean there's a whole genre of games which is about creation right uh, fortnite yeah. has a little bit of this with this creative mode um, I don't have a lot of great things to say about Fortnite, but it does have some great stuff in it. Um, Minecraft, uh, Dreams um, is a, a great yeah. PS4 game that like just lets you make anything you want. And th- that kind of spirit of creation. And Star Trek is not really about like, you know, about that exactly. But I think you could find something in that type of like Minecraft does feel like a good license opportunity because you, you slap the Star Trek code of paint on it and be done. But also Minecraft is about exploration and creation and uh and in a lot of ways cooperation and like pve kind of you know and so like it, it does seem like an appropriate uh, fit compared to other types of um you know slap a skin on it uh, kind of games that you could you could use the star trek license for yeah i think so i'd love to run into a, a horda in the caves instead of a <laughs> instead of a creeper <laughs> yeah and of course you, and you know maybe you kill one but then you learn that it's yes. a mis- that, that it can help you you know, uh, uh, it carves out no exactly kill right. in blocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly right. well, Mark, it's been great talking with you. I love video games. I love Star Trek. I'm hoping that the current TV renaissance of Trek can lead to a similar resurgence of some good Star Trek video games. Where can people find you and Nice Games Club online? Well, you can listen to Nice Games Club, nicegames.club or anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, we do roundtables. We do interviews. Um, we do game jams. Um, and I do talk about Star Trek quite a bit on that show. So, um, you should, uh, um, uh, my co-host Ellen is also a big fan and our other co-host Steven, he's learning the ways. So, uh, you can follow his journey at nicegames.club and you can find the the work I do, um, as a game developer, uh, noblerobot.com. Noblerobot.com. All right. Well, thanks again for talking with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot Code SUPER24. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.